All right, so some of the class already started. Um, we were talking about the change of the room. I've got to tell you, we intentionally came and changed the room and moved the seats in a different way. And from my perspective, I hate it. <laughs> because from this perspective up here, everyone's a lot closer. So, I mean, this last row here, Linda and Ed, I mean, they're like miles away. Yeah. And for me, it's not as intimate. Yeah. Mm. Feels like a hallway instead of a, a more enclosed room. It feels more like a classroom, and it never really felt like a, a classroom before. It felt like a... A living room. A, a more like room. a living room. Yeah. You know, we're, we're this... Okay, we're going to put you on the spot. Thank you for showing up. What do you, what do you think of the new room layout? We're all confused. <laughs> what do you guys think, since you guys just showed up? What do you think of the new room layout? Good. Different. Okay. No problem. Is is it is it a like good it? different or? What? If I can hear you, I'm good. Because I was just sharing it from, from from an instructor up here. I don't like it. Oh really? I don't like it. It's not as intimate. Oh yeah. It's not as intimate because you guys are so far away. Just it just stands to the middle so that these people are in well, but the class usually fills up in about 15 minutes, so right now, you're right. I mean, it's like there's such a distance. I definitely feel more better. More better. More better. Better. I would feel more comfortable here because I'm closer, but having these rows, I just Everybody get up and take two seats forward. <laughs> the problem I have with this layout, if I'm up there, is I feel like I'm going to crown myself on that projector up there. I don't know if you guys have that problem, but it always feels like it's going to hit me. Are you serious? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, whoa. She can't even touch and it. And I've got four-inch heels on. Wow. What? So, it's, um, yeah, the room is definitely different. Yeah. So, we're going to be talking about how we view things today. And actually, we're going to be talking about how we view things and how we perceive things for the next however long we're going to keep. We have no idea what the end point looks like, so we're just going to keep going and going and going until God says stop. Okay? Don't worry, it won't be that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because God tells me to stop. Yeah, exactly. So, I have a question for you. Actually, you do this one. Which one's bigger? Which Sharpie's larger, the one on the left or the one on the right? Which one? Right. What is this? Which Sharpie is larger? The one on the left or the one on the right? Okay, how many people say the left? How many people said the right? How many people were convinced after some people said the same that, oh, my answer was wrong? Okay, when you look at it this way. The squares are bigger and smaller. Yeah. The squares are bigger and smaller. What's going on? Your bro my brother called, um, calling in. The squares, yeah. The perspective on this. They're actually both Sharpies are the same size. Okay. What about... 
What about this one? What do you say? The dark is <laughs> is uh, the guy playing the sax. The white is the face. That's the eye. The mouth, another eye. Okay. And see the, and here, what we heard wasn't just a musician. We had an extended, you said a jazz player, right? So it wasn't just a musician, it was a jazz player. So we have, when we see these things and we're looking beyond, we, we continue to add on things, which is good. Okay, here's an interesting one. Look at the one in the middle that spells out both the one on the top and on the bottom, depending upon how you're looking at it. Right in Teddy's face. <laughs> when you look at it in one angle, it spells out white. The other angle, it spells out black. And in the middle, you can see how it's actually formed. Okay, so if one person, if I'm going to repeat Gene's question because then I'm going to ask another question on top of that. If one person saw white and one person saw black, who's right? They both are. Now, why isn't that the case in our relationships when we're arguing back and forth? <laughs> because I'm right. That's the reason why I'm arguing. That's different. That's different. Why is that different? Um, dum, da, da. Oh, we're just practicing. That's what we're saying. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to carry down the aisle to at Starbucks. This is my daughter. She's getting married in um, September. Oh. She didn't know we made an aisle. She likes 
toward the end. Well, no, she brought a Starbucks. That's and she did. She, she stopped. Thank Sue, you. Sue, please continue. So yes, why? Why? It's an emotional. I have an emotional stake in this. It's not just a piece of paper. You know, it's my feelings, my all the way I was raised, the way I grew up, the way I. Okay, so interact. So your feelings and your perspective then has more weight than my feelings and my perspective. If I'm acting in selfishness, yes. <laughs> yeah. It depends on who started first. Alba, explain. From a different point of view, it can be the same, but it's a different point of view. Yeah, it's I can see I can see a difference, so that they can see different, but um, they both can be right. We both can be right. And how many times in our personal life, when we're seeing things differently, whether it be from our boss, our spouse, our children, are we more right than they are, and they're just idiots? <laughs> Pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. <laughs> I mean, is that, I mean, if that's, I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted, why the Lord really laid upon our heart to, to have us do this teaching on the difference between perspectives and um, perceptions. And there is a difference. Um, do you guys know what the difference is between perspective and perception? Perspective is the view of something, okay. and the perception is how we feel about the specific. Spot on. Spot on. The perspective right now. Wow, did she steal our notes? Yes, yeah, she did. She, okay. she read them beforehand. She's got um, dictionary.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Perspective is literally where we're standing and how we're looking at something. You ever see, uh, you know, on, on Facebook and all these other YouTube videos, you know, that huge, humongous cat, you know? Um, and then they show you how they take that picture where the cat is, you know, that close to the camera and the person is four feet away, you know, so the cat looks a lot larger. Um, it was really kind of fun um, looking through to try to find these types of, of stuff. They've got, um, you know, people blowing clouds, um, you know, people riding on top of waves without a surfboard you know, all from perspective taking with the camera. Um, it, it's really kind of neat how well our, our minds can be deceived depending upon where we're standing. And relationally, I think the same goes when our mind and our spirit is, is standing at a distance from where it needs to be and we're not willing to move around to see things differently. It, changing our perspective changes our perception. Our perception is how we feel. I'm really uncomfortable. I don't like this layout in the room. I mean, I'm, I'm, my perception of this layout, it stinks. It will not stay like this. All right? I can't see everyone's faces. Um, I can't, I, I feel like I'm just <laughs> detached. Honey, let it go. Love you. <laughs> I am gonna let it go. I mean, but I'm just. It, it is. It's it's very weird from this perspective, to to look out on you guys because I feel more like I'm in a conference, speaking at a conference, lecturing, as opposed to having an intimate time with some 
what, what we become is, is trusted friends and good friends in this room. And so it's just, it's, it's, not, it's not a family atmosphere like it is when it's spread out more. So it's more conducive to a video, but. Would, would you or her be able to repeat that again, the difference between perspective and perceptive? Perception? You did such a good job, Erin, letting you wanna. Uh, perspective is the way we see things, the direct, you know, where we stand it, and perception is how we feel. Thank you. And I, I think that when I used to be an EEO counselor at my job, we always focused on perception. Um, when they were displaced, brother, if it was someone felt discriminated against or they were offended by something, it was based on that person's perception, not mm -hmm. about what you thought you did from your perspective. Well, I, and I work in law enforcement, and I've had a lot of discussions with investigators. How reliable do you think eyewitness testimony is? Give me a percentage. It's about 60%. And I can assure you, if you have five different eyewitnesses, how many different stories are you going to hear? Five. Maybe more. Paul? Maybe more. What was it? A few months ago, there was an accident at the intersection, right? At the exit of church. It was like, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We were... Anyway, yeah, somebody ran a red and they hit all the airbags, that kind of stuff. And, and I was first on the scene because I just happened to be there. And uh, I stayed and just kind of helping that kind of stuff. And when the police came, they, they asked me, okay, where were you? What did you see? And that kind of stuff. And I was saying, I was pulling up to the red light when this guy was coming and that one came, so on and so forth. Uh, the church security guy, that, that handsome young man, I, I can't think of his name. What is it? Giovanni. Giovanni, probably so, yeah. Uh, he went and got the video from a camera that watches. I was way back uh, coming kind of around that corner and so I could see the light, but I was way back here. My perception was I was up at the light. Wow. It was shocking to me. Wow. I mean, it's, what is that, 100 feet, something like that? Wow. It was shocking to me that, wow, I was way <coughs> off in my perception. Yeah. Wow. There's a technology, it's an acoustic gunshot technology that will, if it's deployed in a certain area, will record a number of shots and, and you'll hear them. And it's interesting because I've worked a couple uh, consultation cases where, well, you know, witnesses are saying, I heard three, I heard five, I, I heard six shots, and there's 14 or 15 or 16. Wow. So just because when we're processing information depending on where we are you know we, we live in Antioch we live toward downtown and not nightly but close to nightly Gene will ask me fireworks or gunshot firework or gunshot and it's just it's it's based on a perspective what we're used to hearing our experiences uh, Sue you said it experiences there was a, a study done in a university, and you know how, you know, the big university um, classrooms that have the auditorium-type seating, and you've got a couple hundred students there, and then you've got the big desk layout and whatnot, um, and then there was exit doors on either side of the front, either side of the back. Well, what they've done repeatedly in this, in this um, research was, you know, whatever, the, one, the teacher would have her purse out on the front desk as she's teaching and someone would run in, grab the purse, and run out, right? The teacher would get robbed. 
Oh, it was set up. Okay, it was set up. The teacher would get robbed. The teacher, of course, was in on it and acted like, you know, um, she had literally just gotten robbed and whatnot. And everyone in the auditorium, the audience then would say, okay, what did the perpetrator look like? Okay, and anything and every race would come out. The different heights would come out. And here's, you know, I mean, now I'm guaranteeing you that, you know, of the 200 people or however many people were there, a good third of them probably weren't even looking up at the front. You know, they were either sleeping, playing on their Facebook, or, you know, whatever. Okay, but in that circumstance, how can so many people come up with something different? And they can swear by what they saw. Okay. We see things, what's that phrase? We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Or, and I, th I don't know if that's exactly this, but there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth in that. And also, believe it or not, your background also, your background experiences play into it. Also, what you don't expect to. <clears throat> the stupidest thing, but <clears throat> nobody will ever hear me say my name over the phone or in person. Like, what's your or, you know, what's your name with your order? If I say Teddy Bear, they'll understand I said Teddy. If I say Teddy, it's Penny, Patty, Perry. I mean, just <laughs> everything under this. Sometimes things that aren't even names. I got Stephanie back once. <laughs> From know? Teddy? Yeah. I mean, they, wow. people just don't hear it. You know, so it's it's kind of because it's not it's such a, a different name, so you don't expect yeah. it. You know what I mean? And, and there's people that you know. So what you kind of think is going to happen, or where you think something is going, colors how you what you thought you saw. You know. That's also true. Your expectations. Yeah. Exactly. Your expectations. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, we're one of the. Oh. One of the main verses that we're going to be dealing with is Matthew 13. And Matthew 13, um, I'm going to read 1 through 17. So it's a, bit, a little bit long, but we're going to take it apart um, bit by bit. But it says, um, uh, NIV is what I'm reading right now. This is the parable of the sower. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven was given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. What do you guys think? Powerful. Why? Why powerful? Um, oh, because it shows me that, I mean, if I really am honest with myself, I think there's a lot of times that I am not seeing, hearing, whatever. And it's basically saying that if I'm not, this way I interpret it, it may not be correct, but um, if I'm not surrendered to the Lord, and I'm, like I said earlier about, you know, if I'm in selfishness and it's my way or the highway, then this is saying things of God will not be revealed to me. Yeah, that's a solid truth. I'm, right. I'm just thinking about perception to me is what's going on with my mind, will, and emotion while I'm listening. Sue, one of the things that you said was that the things of God will not be revealed to me. And I really like that. Because in James it says, draw near to God so that he will draw near to you. So that he will draw near to us. So that we, it's important for us to take a step forward and God will take a step forward. Keep in mind the, product, the, the father went running to the son, right? Prodigal son. But what did the prodigal son have to do first? Turn around and he had to turn around and start walking, didn't he? We don't know the distance that was covered or anything else, but the prodigal son still had to turn around and start walking. Okay, So there's an element of submission in there. And so that the things of God, now what are the things of God? Give me some things of God that you'd like to know about. What are the things of God? What What's in God's heart that you'd like to hear? Linda? Who you are in his eyes. What else? Plans. Plans. What else? Promises. What else? <coughs> Where we're going. Miracles. Where we're going. Awesome. You know miracles, what I'd like? Yeah. yeah, miracles. You know what I'd like? How he sees Gene. And this is not to downplay anything else. But we're talking sometimes, when we talk about the heart of God, when we talk about how God sees things, I want to know how he sees my daughter. You know why? So I can come into alignment with that. I want to see how he sees Gene. You know why? Because half the time I suspect his heart is breaking for something that Gene is going through. And I'd like my heart to break for that too. If our greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself, if I break that down, what's important to know? Who God is, who we are, and who our neighbor is. Right? Because if we, we can't love God if we don't know who he is. We can't love our neighbor if we don't know who they are. And we can't love ourselves if we don't know who we are. Right? And we have to know what love is. <laughs> and we have to know what love is. Yeah, I mean, is love the erotic love that our wonderful culture tries to put out there? If you, you know. I'm sorry, 
I just don't love you anymore. We need to divorce. Sorry, I can't even handle it. I can't even relate to that. All right. But I mean, but that's how many divorces do we know? I read an interesting statistic um, recently, and I, I don't remember where I read it or exactly what it said, so forgive me for that. But it basically said that around year 20 of marriage is when they've done these longitudinal studies, and you know, it's like five, six, seven, eight, ten years of, of, of marriage, um, level of happiness kind of changes. You're really happy right after the honeymoon period, you know, and then the real work settles in and everyone gets disappointed um, because it's not all, you know, lovey-dovey. But around year 20 um, is when happiness really begins to grow in marriages, but too often marriages stop before they get to that point. And even if they didn't work hard, happiness still begins to grow around year 20. Um, but it's also very interesting because 20, 25 years of marriage is the second highest rate of divorce. Mm-hmm. Oh, which year? 20, 20 25, 25 years. You know why? Because a lot of the people, I, I'm going to goof around a little bit, but a lot of the people, those that have seen their happiness grow, their kids have now left the house. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrate. The other half, chill. (laughs) Uncross those arms. The other half don't know how to relate to one another without the kids being there to help them relate to one another because it was all about the kids and it wasn't about this. Those that survive built this and when the kids are gone they didn't celebrate because the kids were gone they celebrated because their kids were launched because their kids had 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 the ability to step out and move out and be able to establish themselves on their own but for those that ended up divorced they don't know what to do without the kids they don't know how to relate to one another because their life and their identity more often was wrapped up, up in their kids. kids. <clears throat> so, um. uh, I, I did want to I did want to continue with this God perspective, okay? Because it's we we've talked about it before, and um, you know one of my favorite authors is uh, uh, Leif Hetland. Hetland, uh, then the last name was slipping for me. Through the eyes of God. And he is a huge evangelist for, guess who? The Muslims. He ends up in all these Muslim countries and relating to all these different Muslim leaders. And he relates to them on a level that he reminds me a lot of Jesus and a woman at the well. The Samaritan woman had no business. Jesus had no business talking to this Samaritan woman. And Leif reminds me a lot of Jesus in that moment. Because he's going to a people that God truly loves and are lost. And he's going to them. And he's going in their territories. 
And he's going, he's putting himself into danger because he sees them through the eyes of Jesus. And what I'm afraid of is that we can get, and I'm not, I mean, we do a lot of work with couples. And, and for those of you that have worked with us, we focus a lot on you as an individual first. What's going on in you? What's your history? What's your background? Because your history, your background is going to cloud your ability to see others. It changes both your perspective and your perception. And I learned, whether good or bad, how to be a father first, not from God, but from my stepfather. I learned how to be a husband first, not from God or not from Jesus, who is the ultimate husband. I learned it from my stepfather. And I had some history with my biological father, but I didn't want that history. And you know what I learned most from my stepfather? I don't want to do things that way. You know how difficult it is to accomplish a negative? There, there is no goal. I just don't want to do things that way. Well, there are 99 other ways to do it. And guess what? I didn't learn any of them. I just learned two ways I didn't. And so... And no one taught him. And no one taught me. Which is why when we enter into relationships with couples and, and we work with couples, we do focus individually too because we want you to understand where you're at. Because if you can't, if you can't have a sense of where you're at, it's very difficult to be able to judge what you're seeing and to see and, and to be able to see from somebody else's perspective. So. Um, one of the, the, the most impactful testimonies that I had ever heard that really helped change my perception perspective um, came from an author, um, trying to remember the name, In a Heartbeat is Danny the name Silk. of the book. Danny no, Silk. wasn't Danny it, it wasn't Danny Silk. All right. Um, I thought it was. Yeah. It, it I guess that's my perception. <laughs> it's your perception. Your perception's wrong. Yeah, there we go. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hash this out first. No, go ahead. Um, the, the person was an international speaker, and I think I've shared this before. He um, traveled a lot. His kids were, you know, eight, nine years old, so they're, they're kind of at the age where they can be left alone but not like totally alone. So he was exhausted coming back from this trip. He says, I've got to go and take a nap. All right, you guys play quietly, play nice. All right, don't scream, don't yell, don't chase each other around the house. Just play nice while I take a nap. So he's sleeping and he wakes up to screaming. He's furious. He really needs his rest, all right? And the kids have done it again. They're screaming around downstairs. So he comes stomping downstairs and finds out one of his kids got their finger caught in the door. Okay. Now everyone can relate to the, my kids are doing something I asked them not to. I'm just tired. I just want a little bit of peace. I'm going to go beat their butt red, right? Uh, maybe not that extreme, and I don't ever suggest that. Um, but you're angry, right? You're going to go down and yell at the kids. But then you find out one of them's hurt. All of a sudden, I'm going to kill the kid 
comes to, oh no, my baby's hurt. In a heartbeat. A little bit new information. In our relationships, do we seek for that new information? Do we want to change our perspective? I would say oftentimes, the answer is no. Instead, we want to sit with calloused hearts and say, our perspective is right. It's either black or it's white. I know, I'll, go on. No, go ahead. No. I'm, I'm gonna share something that occurred with us recently because, well, frankly, our lives are an open book, so we don't care. Um, I was, I was looking at my game closet. I, I have a board game closet. I have board games. I was looking to sell some of them. So I had them on the bed in the guest room. And I mentioned to Jean, I'm going to go work on selling those games. You know, put, um, putting them on Craigslist or eBay or whatever. So I happen to be in the bedroom. And I have all the photos of the games on my cell phone. So I'm sitting in a chair on my cell phone putting them on eBay. Jean comes walking down the hallway. What does she see? I'm on my phone. And I could see something change in her face. And then for until, and, until I got up from the chair and said, you know, this is, we have to stop this. How long were you just upset and... Yeah, I was upset. I mean, I mean, I think the whole incident discussion and everything you know, took 15 minutes, but I was pretty darn ticked. You know, he's isolated himself, you know, whatever, I think you were traveling or, or something was happening that we hadn't seen or spent a lot of time together, you know, and he said he was going to do something and now he's playing on his phone, you know. I got mad. You know, I had my own issues that I was dealing with too, so it was easier to um, get more angry at that situation. You didn't ask him what he was doing? Well, he had told me, he told me he was going to work on selling his games, but I saw him sitting on his phone, and I assumed he was catching oh. up on his hockey stats oh. or, or something like that, and not, okay. doing what he said he was not doing what he said he was doing, you know? I jumped to the wrong conclusion. I threw an attitude. Um, I was wrong. You know, and I also began to play a little bit of a game. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm done with this. I'm tired. I'm just, you know, go do whatever you want, you know. And it was <laughs> And I engaged the game for about five minutes until I said, this is ridiculous. This has to stop. Because my initial thought when I saw that was, fine, if she wants to storm off, let her storm off. Because I'm trying to get these games off the bed. Because I don't want them on the bed. Because here's my perception. Jean's upset at me because these games have been on the bed for a week and I haven't gotten around to it yet. Which I could care less. But we didn't step outside of our own head, our own perspective, our own thoughts until it came to a head. I had my little hissy fit and Ron said, let's drop the rope. You know, The good thing in our house, just to let you guys know, all honesty, all vulnerability, we go through this stuff. Same stuff you guys do. Stupid stuff. Why are we getting so upset? Because that was left on the counter. All right? We go through it. But we process it through very quickly. We don't let it stew. One or the other of us 
drops the rope, brings it to the table and says, I want to see the real picture. And one thing I really like about this perspective, the real picture, the real actual sculpture, whatever you want to call it, looks pretty broken, doesn't it? It looks pretty broken. It's not clean. It's not well-formed or well-shaped. All right? That's the way most of life is. <laughs> All right? Well, that's the way most of us are. That's the way most of us are. <coughs> you know, we think that everything's nice and neat and our perspective is right. But most of the time, the picture really looks like this. Because we're all looking through deceived eyes. All right? <clears throat> Life speaks to us in parables. Not just Christ. Life speaks to us in parables. What's the lesson? <coughs> I teach bias in forensic science, and one of the reasons why bias is such an issue is because we look at things and try to make sense of them. We try and put order to them. We try and, we try and make them regular or to fit in to a particular mold or perception that we have. There's these things, that, and you, know, you can read a full paragraph that can all be misspelled, but because the right letters are there, you can read through the paragraph even though it's misspelled, because your, your mind has a way of bringing order to something. So what ends up happening is when we look at a situation, we try and bring order to that situation to understand it. But oftentimes, our perspective is clouded. And I will suggest this, because it goes back to that verse from James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know why your perspective's clouded? Because I would suggest you're not as close to God as you may even think you are. Because even that can be clouded. Well, I'm close to God because I read scripture every day. Well, I go to church and I'm in four Bible studies. Oh, I went to Convoy of Hope yesterday. I helped out. We do all that. But what did God's <laughs> the two greatest commandments? Did he say, read my word daily? I did. That's not even in the Ten Commandments. Because it didn't exist as a word. It people, Moses had a relationship with God, and he wrote the first five books. Abraham had a relationship with God. Guess what? He didn't have God's word. I'm not saying don't read God's word. God's word is extremely important. But what I am saying is that when we measure ourselves by the doings, we forget that we're a human being. And we're supposed to be what we're reading. And oftentimes we're not because we're not drawn close enough intimately with God. We're not asking God to examine our hearts. We're not asking God to examine our motives. Because if I, start, if I start to ask God, what are my motives, what's my heart, I may not like the answer. That's, right. That's why we don't ask the question. And so what ends up happening is that, that little tip that we had lasts for a day, not 15 minutes. It's important, and, and that's one of those things. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. It's going to shine some light on some stuff that you may not like to see. But frankly, I'd like that stuff out. I don't want to operate in a relationship where I'm acting selfishly all the time. That's not fair to James. 
Yes. I just wanted to share two things. One, something that I heard, I, it might have been in here or somewhere else, but I heard once, um, to remember that your spouse is not your enemy. And it's easy to think your spouse is your enemy, but, but if you really think about it, who is the enemy? And he is working. When you feel like your spouse is your enemy, he's causing that, you know, because he wants you to, to be, you know. Pastor yes. John Gregg really phrased it well a couple months ago. He mm -hmm. says, stop looking at our enemy as an, an, as an enemy and instead recognize that they're the victim of the enemy. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then just, I mean, this class has helped us so much, too, because, like you said, the things we've learned, we process, process them much faster. I mean, we still definitely have our issues, but we process them much faster, and, you know, we've learned to be able to stop and, you know, okay, this isn't working where's Paul, like what's his perspective and what's my perspective and you know I mean it's just made such a difference thank you well I, and <clears throat> You know, we've worked with a lot of couples, and we've worked with a lot of individuals, and I'll give some of the guys in this room a lot of credit. I, not that I don't give every guy in here credit, but there's a few guys that stand out because I have hit you guys hard, right between the eyes oftentimes, and you guys keep showing up. Because I didn't listen to what your wife was doing. I asked you what you're doing. And you kept pressing in and you kept pressing in and you kept pressing in because that's the only thing we can change. Guess what? I can't make Gene move to see me differently, but I can move. I can move to see her differently. And so much is based on our pers perspective, where we stand, how we view things, and then our, that builds into a perception how we feel about what we see that unless I'm willing to move, and I have to move, if I'm not willing to move, guess what? I can't expect Gene to do it. So let me ask you guys. Have you ever had an aha moment with God? Or something that you thought was one way all the time, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God just went and blew your mind open, and you saw something completely different. Would you be willing to share, Paul? Um, sorry, um, <laughs> I, I didn't get to this in here before. Uh, um, early in our relationship and early in our marriage. Um, Kathy asked for a cup of coffee when she gets out of the shower when we're getting ready to come to church. Um, and I would either get it there before or after, or she would come out and say, coffee, you know, that kind of thing. And and it, my perception was that she was saying, my job is to have that cup of coffee hot and ready to go when she steps out of the shower. Not before, not later, forgetting his way out. That kind of stuff. My job. Right? Um, Your obligation. Obligation. My duty. Yes, my husband. 
the, the Bible says he brews, right? So, yeah, this went for years. Wow. That, dang it, I gotta get up and get the coffee going. And about, was it three or four years ago, God did something. He was dealing with me. Kathy was told by God, shh, back off of your husband because I need to have a talk with him. And you need to keep quiet and you need to have a good attitude about it and that kind of stuff. So she backed off. So she wasn't being my Holy Spirit anymore. So the real Holy Spirit was able to get a hold of me and speak some stuff into me that was kind of crushing and stuff. And I knew things were going on. I knew things were changing. But that Sunday morning, when I was in my head, in my heart, I was saying, I get to make my wife a cup of coffee. That's when I knew Daddy did something in me. It changed my perspective that it was a job foisted on me from her to I get to. I've got a wife that I can make a coffee for. Thank you so much for sharing because right now, if I asked predominantly the men, how many times do you guys do something just because your wife has nagged you into it and you feel like it's um, an obligation and you do it to shut her up? Okay. Have to get to. Yeah, and all this time I, I had no idea he was thinking that. I didn't know that that's how I came across. I had no idea. It went on for years. I had no idea he, it, you know, he was mad about it. And, and it was, it, you know, so weird that we went all that time and neither one of us knew. But when the day starts out with that offense, yeah. it kind of pictures and, and frames the rest of the day, yes. which explains probably some of the other stuff you dealt with <laughs> during that day that you probably don't deal with now. So. We have the exact same thing. I mean the exact same really? thing. Now Ron has quit coffee. So now it's all on me. <laughs> so that's all the problem. Uh, so, so uh, go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say, so years ago, I was just reminding him about this. Years ago, I was really mad at him, and I don't remember why I was mad at him, but I decided I'm giving him a silent treatment. So he'd come in, wouldn't hardly acknowledge each other. This went on literally for like ten days, and I was just like, don't even want to speak to him. He comes up to me in the kitchen on the tenth day and kind of gave me a little hug and. We've been getting along so well lately. <laughs> 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 so ten days turned into two months. engaging me she would she would make dinner it was on the table I could eat it I could not um, she was doing her own thing and I could either join it or not what was sad at the time was that at the time I was like hey, this is cool I can do my own thing and that's where I was yeah way back when 
way back when. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had, um, my best friend and I used to play card games and, and board games, but primarily card games. And there were card games where you actually had to design a particular deck around a strategy. And I used to design decks just to irritate him. That's all I wanted to do was just irritate him. Because he was fun to irritate. Okay. He's a recovering bully, so he's still working on it. And it worked. And it worked. So I had this great deck design, right? And it was really cool because I had ordered a bunch of board games that I knew we could play. And so we were making plans after the new year. Never made it. Because <coughs> New Year's Day suffered a heart attack and died. 5.30 in the morning. Left his wife pregnant with child number eight. Guess how many regrets she had after he died? Paul, I'm glad God showed you that before you didn't have a wife to serve. Because oftentimes it's not until something tragic happens that we realize the lost opportunities. God is showing us those opportunities now. And we're not taking advantage of the vision that he's trying to give us. Because we're like this all the time. Either as couples or with our kids or with somebody. We are always doing this. And I think God's heart is breaking. Not because of the missed opportunities here. Because he knows that there are some opportunities we won't get a replay on. We won't get a redo on. God is a God of redos. But at some point. Life takes that away. Any other aha moments? I think mine was when the Lord showed me that not only did I have unrealistic expectations in my marriage, but I had it in my pastor, and I had it in my supervisors at work, and in other people in leadership positions. Thank you. And how did that help? It helped greatly in my marriage once that aha moment, yeah. you know, because it was bigger than that. And that's sure. when I realized the responsibility that I had in uh-huh. Because I think for me in marriage, because when I was getting closer to God and reading the Bible and reading the Bible and reading it literally, you know, I had this, the husband's supposed to do this, 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 because that's what James said, <laughs> you know. So I assumed that that's how it's supposed to be, you know, and it just wasn't. Yeah. Then I had the expectation that if a pastor is a pastor, he's supposed to love his congregation. He's supposed to do this, this, and this, you know, not district, but yeah. church. You know, and my boss, if you're supposed to be my supervisor, you're supposed to set an example. You should be at work. You should do this. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of churches that preach God's word as, "Hey, this is what we're supposed to be doing." Right? How many? How many? As opposed to what God did, because we <laughs> failed to live up to that standard. I mean, that's what the law was all about. Explain that a little bit more. Okay, so we're, I, and you brought it out. This is what a husband's supposed to do. This is what a pastor's supposed to do. A pastor's supposed Anyone to do. Anyone have that perspective? Above reproach. Okay, this is, this, is, this is what, you know, 
Uh, you're not supposed to smoke. Okay, we had a state overseer, and because Gene and I uh, were both, we were both licensed through Church of God, which is a sister denomination. Gene is ordained through them. I'm ordained through someone else. But this is a state overseer who was sharing one time that his dad in the 1960s was fighting the denomination that husbands be allowed to wear wedding rings. And he was convinced because of the position his dad was holding that his dad was going to hell. Because his dad was was a leader, an international leader, or a national leader at least. In the denomination. In the denomination. And because his dad was standing up fighting that men should be allowed to wear a wedding ring. He thought that his father was going to hell. Okay? Now we look at that and we say, okay, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, that's really stupid. All right? I mean, come on, really? You know, that's, but there's scripture. There's scripture to substantiate that we shouldn't adorn ourselves. Right? Now, let's take it out of context, right? And that's essentially what's happening. But think of our own lives. What rules are we setting up? All right? Husbands have to get coffee for their wives in the morning. Or wives have to get coffee for their husbands in the morning. All right? Or bosses are supposed to. Now, are all these things great? Is there anything wrong with, I'd really like my husband to get me a cup of coffee in the morning? I don't drink coffee, by the way. But, um... (laughs) Is there anything wrong with that? When does it become wrong then? When it becomes works. When it becomes works. When it becomes works. You know, when our perception changes that it becomes work, it becomes have to's. The other dangerous side is I don't have to do anything because I've got grace. Okay? Yep. You know, there's grace in this relationship, so he doesn't have to do anything to relate to me. Huh? Okay? He can do whatever he wants, and I can live very happily. Yeah. <laughs> I can be, because I can live by myself, you know? David, what was one of your favorite songs? I am a rock, I am an island, I am by myself. And where does that fit into love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself? We go to the extremes. We go to the extremes. I visited um, for work the Cayman Islands. And it's interesting how you have to get back and forth around all these islands. They all fly through Miami. So you can't get to another island in the Caribbean without flying through Miami. There's very few direct flights to any of these other islands. But I, I, I have that picture in my mind right now as I see some relationships. In one home, there can be four to five to six different islands. Jackie and I will goof around every once in a while. We'll be sitting on opposite couches and Jackie will text me, hey, how you doing? Instead of saying something, right? 
it's those different islands in the same house. What, what are we doing? And we communicate electronically. It, it just, the, the whole thing about doing, and, and you know, there is scripture, and, and it, yes, we, it's important to be obedient, but why are we being obedient? Are we being obedient to avoid hell? Or are we being obedient because God's perspective is, hey, life will be good for you if. That's why all God's promises are conditional. Because we have a choice of whether or not that promise is going to be fulfilled in our life. And that's why there's direction in Scripture. So that the promises and the fulfillment of God can exist through us. We won't have a fulfilling relationship if I continue to hold on to my perspective. If I continue to stay put and continue to view things through, through my perspective. Because my perception is that sometimes, you know what? And Gene will say this about me. Sometimes you just don't like me. It's fair. But unless we're willing to step out of that and, and try and examine what God wants to do in that moment, <clears throat> how many of us have viewed somebody that has really hurt us as a loved individual by God in the moment they hurt us? Right? That's. Can we get to that point? Can we get to that point? Can we get to the point where we're living through the hurt, where we're living through the hurt and still have love? Yeah. Like what Pastor said, if you haven't gone to service. Yeah. Oh, no, just saying yes. (laughs) Just saying yes. Because I, and I like what Pastor said. He said, we're not denying it, we're having a Christ like response to it. There's a difference. And oftentimes, you know what happens when I deny the hurts that Gene does to me? I build a wall. That's what I'm doing. I'm built a brick by brick by brick by brick. Just got to suck it up. Just got to suck it up. Just got to suck it up. And what's going to happen is, it's going to really suck when that wall's, I can't even see her anymore. Experience happen. It's broken. Doesn't look right. How do we choose which vision we're going to see it by? Are we going to see it from the perspective of it being black or the perspective of it being white? And we can change that to are we going to look at it from a selfish perspective? Are we going to look at it from a godly perspective? Are we going to look at it from a worldly perspective? And my, my niece's wedding was a Jewish, Buddhist, non-religious wedding. How do you get that combination to have it not be non-religious? I don't know. Jewish, Buddhist, non-religious. (laughs) They chose how they wanted to combine things. And they talked about sharing and love. But what's the foundation? What's the foundation? Being good, we can never be good enough. Having an external response that is Christ-like and then going and simmering and stewing, is that the healthiest? Is that what God desires? 
So what we're going to be talking about in the next however long is we're going to be talking about what interferes with our ability to have a proper perspective and perception. And how to literally move so that we can change our perspective. And, and what gets in the way, understanding what gets in the way and how we can actually physically and spiritually move around that obstacle. And, and, and be able to look beyond the obstacle. So we're going to be discussing that. And there are many different things. One of the biggest, and, and we're going to have some guest speakers in too, because they're going to talk about um, how when something was present in their life, they weren't able to experience something that was from God. Because guess what? We were cleansing stream a lot. What's the biggest obstacle to people hearing from God? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. So, so we're going to be talking about a whole lot of these different obstacles in the coming weeks. Hope you're excited because we. Are. Any questions? Comments. Snide yeah, remarks. Snide remarks. Oh, you haven't said that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for even just a change in perspective. And Father God.